Welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and in our recent past, we have welcomed the newborn king into the world. We have watched as the shepherds and the angels and the magi all sought to put themselves into the presence of Christ. We do that today as we come together to worship and to celebrate and then seek to do that every day for the rest of our lives. Let's take this journey together. We are so glad you're here. Come on in. Today's first scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Hear now the word of the Lord. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had been seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered them, The man called Jesus made mud spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes. Then I washed And now I see some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called on the parents of the man who had received his sight. They asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is taken from a continuation of John 9 that Aaron read the first part. This is just a a big chapter that's one big story. He stopped in the middle. I'm picking up with John 9, 20 through 41. Um, I'll read just the last part of what Aaron read and continue on with 19. 
They asked the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And continuing, his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner, speaking of Jesus, One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here is the astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out and when he found him, he said, this is to the man that he just healed, do you believe I am the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and the one speaking to you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, surely we're not blind, are we? Jesus said to him, if you were blind, you would not have sin." But now that you say we see, your sin remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I was thinking about times in my childhood when outside of the house, I became messy and tried to enter the house. Most of the time I was outside with friends. I remember... I'd grown up uh, as a, a younger child in spent some time in Chicago, some time in Pittsburgh. I remember coming in on snow days, being all bundled up in my snow gear like a Christmas story. Remember the brother, he's so puffed up, he can't even put his arms down because he's got his big thick coats on and all his layers. Coming in like that, and mom saying, stop, take your clothes off here, leave your messy, nasty stuff here. I remember in Houston, Texas, when one 
winter it snowed in Houston. And so we all went into the elementary school and played a pickup game of football just in the snow to play. I remember coming home, mom saying, stop, leave your clothes here. I remember playing soccer, which I did for several years as a kid. And what were the best games for those of you that have been outside playing any kind of sport? The ones where it opens up on you and it rains and the field is muddy. Those are the great games. And the football games that we watch, NFL and others, still question why in the North they have open air stadiums and and, and so they welcome, it's like they want this kind of mess to infiltrate the games and we love to see these snow games and we have a sense that it's more playful and more of a game and it just makes things more fun. I remember coming back from those soccer games where everybody's sliding through the mud, coming in the house, mom says, stop, take your nasty stuff off here. And often those rooms were called what? Mud rooms, right, because that's the way you came in. Or maybe whatever sport you're doing, you've done your sport, you're sweaty, you're nasty, maybe you've got cleats, maybe you've got hockey sticks, maybe you've got um, a hunting you know, camo on, whatever. You come in, that's the place to get rid of all your nasty stuff in that mud room. That's a liminal space, that is a space in between the outdoor mess and getting to a more orderly, cleaner inside is that mud room. Today we are talking about messiness because Jesus does that messy, nasty thing that we still say, why did he do that? Vicky talked about it with the children, but let's look at the passage in general. We are in John 9, and this is the whole chapter 9 of John. So when you think of John chapter 9, you think Jesus healed the blind man. You got it. You're set. See, you know a whole chapter of the Bible right there. Don't think you don't know it because you do. So Jesus is walking along, stumbles upon this man who's been born blind since birth. Vicky so aptly described some of what would have been this man's reality. He would have been ousted outside from his community because of his physical challenge. He was a beggar, would have been either late teen or into adulthood because his parents later say he's of age, ask him. Born blind, that means he didn't have sight and then something happened and he lost it and Jesus gave it back to him. Never had sight in the first place. And as Vicky explored, what would that have been like? We have no idea. I, I can't even simulate what that must have been like. To spend all of your life at that time without seeing anything. Light, color, a tree, the ground, the sky, a bird, another human being. Vicky said his own parents he never saw. Another human being. He could touch and he could smell and he could hear and could piece things together. But imagine, all of a sudden, you're, it's the only thing that you know. Never have seen a synagogue or a church or a lake or food, anything. And then boom, 
It's all right there. I, I would think it would be overwhelming. But that's not where the celebration is. The celebration starts, Jesus heals the man, and then it becomes how everybody else responds to it. So it is the community, it is the Pharisees and his own family. Everybody lets this guy down except Jesus, everybody. The community says, well, that's not the guy. They would have seen him every day at that pool, which is not spiritual in nature. It's not a healing pool, but was a place well-traveled. Those would have come by there for a beggar. So they let him down by saying, well, that's not the guy that we've always known who's been there. Some did. Some said that's the one, but others did not. His family, think about you are the parent of a child who's born blind and through some miracle, which is what this is, that child was able to see. Could you think of anything else but celebrating with that child? Well, this family can. Why? Because there was a lot at risk that was threatening them. The decree had already gone out from the temple, from the synagogue that says, if you declare this Jesus as the Messiah, you are out of the synagogue, you are out of the family of faith. And in that time, it was more than, I just can't go to church on Sundays, they're equivalent. The synagogue was their communal gathering point. It was their grocery store, it was their target, it was their movie theater, it was their coffee house, it was every place that they met. They came to the synagogue, it was the core of their community. It was family, it was friends, and to be ousted from that is really to be completely isolated and placed on the margins, living a lonely existence with nobody. And that's what was the threat. So the parents are very careful. They don't want to say, um, yes, it was the Messiah who healed them. They very cautiously say, well, you go ask him. He's, he's old enough. He can speak for himself. But we can say this is our son. They did say that and they did claim him. And so they ask the man several times, what happened? Who did this? How did he do it? So much so that he gets annoyed. The second time, he says, I've already told you, I've already answered all these questions. And the Pharisees' response is to try to not frame Jesus as the hero, but the sinner. Jesus needs to be the one at fault here. He was the one healing on the Sabbath. He was the one claiming to be the son of man, the son of God, the Messiah. So these Pharisees kept asking questions until they were fishing for an answer that they wanted that they continued not to get from the man. The man said, I don't, I don't know if he's the Messiah or not, but I can tell you what happened. I once was blind, but now I see. And they continue, well, what happened? Who was it? I already told you. Why do you keep asking if you're not going to listen to what I'm telling you? The Pharisees the community, and his family really let him down. It is only Jesus who comes to him first, who makes this strange 
mixture of dirt and saliva. Clearly COVID was not an issue for them. But even then, nasty, messy. Why did he need to do that? He healed people without even touching them. He could have spoken and said, you are healed, but he didn't. He took the time to spit into the dirt and dust, dirt and water forming over his eyes. He had to go wash in the pool and then he came back with sight. So Jesus heals and the man is trying to come to terms with what, what he's seeing in the world, the world. And then he gets bombarded with all these questions of people telling him whatever happened didn't happen and Jesus isn't who he says he is. So then Jesus comes back and finds the man and he says, do you believe that I am the son of man? And he says, well, I, I, I didn't see who that was that healed me because he didn't see Jesus. He heard him. Jesus says, it's me. I was the one who healed you. And he said, I believe you are the Messiah. And he worshiped him. So through that little bit of mess, and, and that little mess, by the way, takes us back to Adam and Eve from the stuff of the earth, soil and water. Takes us to Paul and his conversion. Scales on his eyes fell off and he could see differently and he was different. We think about the idea of messiness in general and we don't like that, do we friends? We are good Presbyterians in our lives and in our faith. We want the things to be clean and neat, decently and in order. Hmm. But here Jesus doesn't let us get away with that. He says, sometimes when you're in my presence, it's messy. When he washes feet, it is messy. Again, yuck. Think about times in your life that you would brand as messy that yielded, then yielded order or renewal or taking the next step in your journey. Think about creation in the Bible. That was a mess. It was formless and void, tohu vavohu. And then out of that Jesus out of that chaos, out of that mess, Jesus brought life in creation. Think about the Israelites coming through the Red Sea, squishing through the bottom of that lake. You ever been in a lake without shoes on and that goo comes up between your toes on the bottom of the lake? They're trying to make their way through. There's water on both sides. Fish are looking at it like, what is going on? Out of that mess, they were born a new people into the wilderness, which was more 40 years of mess before God brought them home and emerged a new people. The restaurant chain Moe's, not our barbecue chain or, or barbecue restaurant here by Fetch, which is delicious, we just say there. Moe's, where you go in, Southwest food. Welcome to Moe's all delicious. They used to have a poster that I would try to go back and get, but I, I couldn't find it. 
and said something as profound as I had ever heard about life. Life is like a burrito, a well-hidden mess. And that's it, isn't it, friends? A burrito is nice. It is folded well. It is nice and clean. But you open that up and it is a mess in there. All those ingredients, all messy, all mangled up in there. So much of our lives is taken in trying to create that facade that we look like a perfect burrito, that everything is together, that the mess doesn't affect us. We come to church, how are you? Fine. I'm good. How are you? I am fine. And we only have a certain amount of time. I get it. But we all have to come to terms with the messiness that is the truth and the reality of our lives and the place of God in it for us. Think about the times when messiness, well, think about this. Those of you that are married or have significant relationships or significant family relationships, significant friendships over long time, long terms, every once in a while, you have to get into the messy, right? Very easy to go day to day, live your lives, do your thing, be distracted from getting into those places you both know you need to get into. And every once in a while you get in, but you've got to address it. You can't ignore it or that can manifest itself in negative and destructive ways. But you get into it and you deal and embrace and engage that mess and you come out, hopefully, in a better place. You are closer because of that time spent and you're working through that together. Our faith is also messy. It is not black and white. We do not know everything we want to know. Even scripture itself is not black and white. It is authoritative. It is God's inspired word to us, but over thousands of years from some 40-ish authors, translated thousands of times to get to this point, and we say, well, the Bible says it, that's it. And I disagree with my Christian brothers and sisters who leave it there because, well, this is where it is right now. What, what did they mean when the author said it then? What did Jesus mean to those who heard it? There is, scripture is messy in places. There are contradictions in scripture because of the amazing vast array of people in time, again, of which it came to be. It is a miracle in itself that God continues to work through it. It is a living document. It is 100% authoritative for us and God's word to us, absolutely. But there is gray within that black and white. Faith is messy. There are things we know, there are so much we don't know, but we know enough to take a stand we know enough to follow. We know enough to be a disciple. God's plan for us, for us is faith, not knowledge in that sense. We are given enough to make a stand, but we also are intentionally working on God's plan of faith, not black and white, 100%. Here's, here's, here's the smoking gun that Jesus existed in the world. Well, you and I are that for one another in the world. 
but there is a lot of mess that we need to embrace. And when we live in just the black and white, some of the negative that can come for that is that we become wooden in our understanding. We can become divisive. We can become judgmental. We can let hatred take us over because we know the one way that God is calling us to be, the one way that this one passage I've lifted up is telling me that Jesus says is the way we have to operate. And it can cause destruction. We know that, we've lived it. Not that you don't take stands. And in some places, the Bible does say what the Bible says. But when we are able to engage and embrace the messy of Scripture, it means that we leave room for the Holy Spirit. It means we leave room for some mystery that we don't have to have every single answer figured out in 100% detail that we know enough and that we can open our hearts enough to know that other people see faith in different ways. And what if we got together and talked about that? Wouldn't we both be better? So today, my challenge to you is not just embrace the messy in all its forms in our life, but to engage it. That is not a passive, it is an active. If you are in a messy place of anxiety and depression, know that you are not alone, that God is with you in these moments. If you are hurt mentally, physically, spiritually, if you are challenged in any number of ways that happen on a regular basis in this life, in that messy, you are not alone. That's where Christ made significant changes and people were reborn, converted, renewed, refreshed. It doesn't always work out such Hollywood perfect but it means that we've spent intentional time with God and we are better because we have sought God in that moment. And the, the last thing I'll throw out to you is that we also in the season of Lent need to embrace the messy in our own hearts and souls. That's what this Lenten journey is about. To engage that messy and to say, how am I being called to be closer to God? What is it that's keeping me from fully giving myself as a follower of Christ here and in the world? The, the Pharisees in the, in the end of this passage says, we're not blind, are we? Probably the most honest thing they said in this whole passage. The sermon title reflects the understanding that we can often gain sight with Christ, maybe in a conversion moment, whether that's once or over a period of time or looking back and seeing God present in your life or small moments of God moments. And we can see and hear God, but we can reach a place where we think we have it all figured out. We stop reading scripture, we stop learning, we stop asking questions. And so then we again become this place of a wooden set of understandings that can't be breached. Fear, division, and judgment are a result. So we need to embrace and engage the messy look at our lives and in the world and with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. But we also need to ask the question, I see, but am I blind? I physically see, but am I spiritually blind? 
And as a church, we need to be the mudroom for the world so that people feel comfortable coming into our presence, bringing their mess so that we can hold one another, so that we can seek Christ in the midst of all of that internal burrito challenge. We need to be the mudroom for the world as a church where all messes are welcome so that we together can be transformed by the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen.